You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and I am here, well, not really here, it's virtual, but with another episode of Extraordinary Occurrences with our producer, Demarcus Adisa. What's going on? What's up, (laughs) y'all? So we're staring at at each other on a screen because at this point, we're both sheltering in place um, as well. So we're doing a virtual conversation like we've been doing with our guests, um, even though you had bootleg uh, headphones. So you couldn't even join the conversation to like greet the guests, even though you've been on as a producer um, as we've been doing these virtual podcasting. So I'm glad the Lord has blessed you and and delivered you from the inability to speak on your computer. Yeah, I was just, I was over here. And then my, remember the camera froze the other day. On the <laughs> interview, so I was just looking like a whole creep for 90 minutes. Just, just frozen with this creepy face for the entire interview. For the entire interview. So it feels good to actually be a part of the process now. For sure, for sure. Technology. It, it hasn't been that much of a struggle. I mean, I, I, I will say I miss seeing people in person and being in the same room. And, you know, part of what we're known for is that energy and being face to face and also recording everything um, as well. But we're using um, sort of a, a an online platform where you can see the person that you're talking to, but they don't actually record the video yet. So I know everybody's doing this from Oprah to the Today Show. So everybody is doing these um, these video interviews, but I think a lot of people are using Zoom. I'm not sure, but they're recording the actual video piece as well. We haven't been doing that. Uh, we've taken a more streamlined approach. If this goes on a little bit longer, I don't know, that that might change. Do you want to do video? I don't know. I mean, video would be cool, I guess, to have, but mm-hmm. you know, most people are out here looking crazy. That's well, I'm not very telegenic right now, I, I will say. I mean, that's the bar. I mean, everyone is looking crazy. When I saw, you know, Khaled hop out with the gray beard, I was like, I know it's a wrap. Because usually he's like A1. His his line is up, is precise. And he just had all kinds of grades. He was looking all kinds of stressed out. I was like, this is real. And then Diddy popped up with the gray goatee as well, a gray beard as well. Gray beard, exactly. I mean, I've reached a new low today because I actually have a silk uh, headscarf on. So, I mean, at least with the other guests that we've done, um, I've been a little bit more put together. Uh, you've had like whole makeup on for other guests. So, you know, I have. we're families different. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, natural element. Exactly, exactly. But it's all yep. good. I wasn't even going to say it. You snitched on yourself. I wasn't. Oh, it's fine. We keep it real on the show. We keep it real on the show. I I am looking like Sunday night right now, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> she got the steely braids under that scarf, yo. I do not. I, I took it back to 1997. And I have a slicked back ponytail in my in my head. And the scarf is just to make sure that my waves are spinning when I take it off. Because even though I'm in the house, you know, we got to jump on FaceTime and whatnot here and there. So I do not have the Sealy Braves. Correction, y'all. She got the Alicia Keys under the scarf. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. I do have that. But it's going to be slicked down. I had to break out the gel and everything. It's real out here right now. It is real in these quarantine streets. For sure. So how are you feeling? You know, quarantine, I don't I don't know what, what day we're on officially, because um, I want to say I went in the house the like around the 18th, I think I, I, I battened down the hatches. Um, so 
It's way over a month. What's today? See, I look at how the days are running together. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. The, it's Sunday the 26th. Mm-hmm. I went in the house, like, I think I want to say, like, the 17th or the 18th. So, yeah, it's like all of my days are running together. My sleep patterns are thrown off. I have been doing a lot of calisthenics, though. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one plus. But it's just one of those things, like, when is this going to be over? You trying to get your summer body for the summer that we're not going to have? I'm trying to get my summer body for me, man. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to come out of this looking like a, a shadow of a shadow of a shadow of my former self. Right. Because there's right. not much to do. I mean, you know, I already, you know, live a pretty sedentary lifestyle um being a quote unquote creative but um with this you're I'm really not going anywhere we really haven't been moving so the only thing times like this you do a lot of sleeping a lot of snacking oh man so much snacking snacking so I purposely have not bought any snacks just been eating meals and trying to do a little calisthenics. at least I want to come out just looking the same <laughs> if not <laughs> lose a few pounds now I just come out like you know I got the the extra chin that quarantine 30. We're not trying to do that. That's uh, for no sure. Qu- no quarantine 30. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely have tried to stick um, as close to my normal kind of program with food as possible. It's a little bit difficult because just a lot of things aren't available. Um, so that, that makes for some adjustments that are necessary. And also just trying to do more of like making meals that stretch. Um, so I've been channeling Nana and Pop quite a bit and making, you know, comfort food and things that you could just add rice to and, and heat it up and all that great stuff um, to get through however long this is and also to minimize the trips to the grocery store. Um, but, but see, I thought I had it all figured out. Remember, I was doing, I was like stalking the, the, the grocery pickup times and I was scheduling pickups. So I didn't have to get out of the car. It was just like order everything. It might take, you might not get an appointment for like five days or whatever, but you get the appointment. And then... The state of New Jersey went to 50% capacity in all grocery stores. So a lot of people who were doing shopping inside the store then switched to um, to pick up as well. So that program is out the window at this point. I haven't been able to get a pickup uh, appointment time since then. So I'm definitely trying to just use, utilize what I have here, you know, and make the trips only when it's necessary. Yeah, the, those grocery stores. I haven't been since they've. I've since we went for the pickup. I haven't been to the store since they had that 50% occupancy, but mm-hmm. those lines are crazy. It's like Six Flags lines outside of those stores. Yeah, it's just way too much happening. So um, I'm trying to make it work. And then for a while there, I was a little nervous because I was experiencing some congestion. Um, but I think it was a combination of just springtime allergies and also just the chemicals from constantly disinfecting um, as well. So I wasn't feeling too hot for a couple of days and it gave me a little bit of anxiety. Um, but I think it's just <laughs> constant spraying of uh, bleach disinfectants everywhere. This like this whole pandemic and, you know, everything around it, everything we've been seeing in the news may, has made everyone act like Red Sanford every time like a sneeze or a cough happens. It's like, oh, no, this is the one. I got it. <laughs> Literally every you can't even clear your throat. You just can't. People are like, what's going on with you? But um, yeah, besides that, I mean, I think the last time we did an Extraordinary Occurrences episode, um, things were not as dire as they are um, in New York City and in the county, you know, the counties up here in, in North Jersey. But since then, I mean, COVID has touched, I think we all know somebody who, who's been impacted or lost someone 
um, due to this pandemic. So, so that piece has been very difficult. Um, and just feeling like, you know, it's, it's, I don't even like to log into social media because it's literally like the New York Times obituary section. Right. Um, we've had, we've had former guests lose lost ones. Yeah. Um, we've had, uh, high school friend of mine he just lost like two of his uncles like it's crazy it's crazy right every, every day every day and if it's not lost it's people who who have it their parents have it um people who suspect that they have it but can't couldn't get a test for however long i think jersey is doing better now here um so that that piece has been really hard um especially because you can't comfort people. Like right. we're all stuck. So it's like this affects people that you know, but you can't do what we do culturally as a people. And that is gather, offer support, you know, all of those things in the way that we would normally do. So that's been weighing um, heavy on my spirit for sure. I think this is um, this is one of the few times where most people who would be active during the time someone passed away, because that's what a lot of people do. Um, instead of actually sitting and grieving and pondering, they just get active. They do planning parts for funerals. They call family members. They just get really involved and like avoid the grieving process. One thing I learned from you know talking to a few people who are, have lost uh, loved ones and those you know who are near and dear to them, they've a lot of them have just had to sit still. Like there is no more to plan. Like you figure out what's going on, you try to handle people's affairs, but other than that, there's no scheduling for Uncle So and So to come into town. Um, there's no organized getting the suit. There's no programs. There's no anything. Um, it's just that this person has passed away. Um, y'all can view them, but a lot of you know, in a lot of states, a lot of places, you can't have a ceremony. Um, a lot of people, some places, they're even cremating folks. So it's like it's not like there's a burial, and if there is a burial, people can't be near it. Like you have to sit in your car while this person is buried. So this has just forced a lot of people to just sit and reflect on a lot of things in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the interesting things that's going to happen when this is when this finally ends. I think it's going to be a major cultural shift for a lot of people. There views on life in general, not just death, but where they are in life and how they relate to life and what they want out of life. Yeah. I mean, I I will say um, that I think we all say it and I believed it before, obviously, but it, it weighs more heavily on me. Like if you have your health, that is the most important thing. And Clearly, we're living with an administration who doesn't believe that, right? Um, it's more about the money for them. It's financially and economically driven. But to wake up every day and feel well in the midst of what's going on um, is a blessing in and of itself. And everything else can be worked out and figured out eventually. But to be healthy, um, I take that with much more gratitude now than I did a couple of months ago, for sure. It, it truly is a gift. Um, to be healthy. It's so funny. I've I've talked to uh, uh, several people who uh, told me, like, you know, being healthy in a country somewhere doesn't sound so bad. Like, I always wanted to be in this urban area. And they're like, you know, having a simple life in the middle of nowhere in South Carolina does not seem, seem so bad right now. Listen, the people I know who are in r- rural areas um, that I've spoken to, I can't say statistically this is true, but anecdotally, they're, they're doing all right. <laughs> Right. Much they're not in areas that are not as densely populated um, as as we we are here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I'm just I definitely feel the weight of this and how it's impact impacted people that I know personally, um, acquaintances, etc. Also, you know, thinking about the fact that one of my own family to stay safe, and we have more than one uh, essential worker in our family, including our mother. Right. Um, so she's been out there every day, which 
does not feel good <laughs> uh, knowing that she's out there. Um, so I've been trying to keep my mind a bit sane about that. And especially because without saying where she works or what exactly what she does, even though I do want to put the company on blast, she works at a company that is essential, but the role that she plays can be done from home. I got <laughs> a few, I got a few four letter words for those people, but I'm going to keep it to myself. Yeah, so they just have not di- differentiated and distinguished and set up the d- departments that can be working from home, from home, which I think is a travesty. So I've been a bit infuriated by that, um, but trying to maintain my peace and, you know, just make sure mom is staying healthy for sure. Right, but it's times like these, it's times of like chaos and uncertainty that shows you corporations' true stances and how they feel right. like employees, whether it's a lot, you know, a mom and pop organization or a global organization um it shows you where you stand in people's minds and it gives you a lot to reevaluate um moving forward exactly i mean i've I've been saying i don't know if i mentioned this on the last episode that we did um but i'm hoping that somebody compiles a list of corporations and their response to the pandemic mainly how they've taken care of their employees how they've supported causes if they've supported causes um, whatever. I think that's very important. And, and it's hard to be socially conscious uh, and conscious consumers all the time. Right. We all uh, patronize places that may have practices that we don't necessarily agree with. If if you're trying to avoid that, you're not you're literally going to live off the land and be self-sustaining. Right. It's impossible. But I would like to be able to make informed decisions moving forward. I think the, the hardest one to make is Amazon. Everybody obviously is making use of Amazon right now because of um, what's going on, but also reading things in the news and the complaints from their employees or former employees who've been fired um, as a result of protesting, it definitely makes you stop and think. Right. But then also trying to figure out how to get around it. How do you get around it? Because it's like, do I go on Amazon Pantry or um, that's the that's the name of the service, right? Pantry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do a deal with those Babylon things. Amazon. <laughs> But uh, do I go on Amazon Pantry or do I venture out into the world and do my own shopping? And is that stuff going to be even available when I get there? Is mm-hmm. that like a dis- discretion? And, and I don't fault anyone. Like you say, you do what you have to do, but it, it'll definitely make you um, use certain industries uh, and businesses in a different light. And moving forward, it, it'll, you know change the way you may interact and if you choose to patron uh, these businesses for certain services. Absolutely. You've heard the stories about Instacart allowing people to change uh, the tips. Oh, my gosh. And I'm just like, are people that evil to do something like that? You know, for the benefit of our listeners, if you haven't heard. um, So you have the ability to set the tip in Instacart. If you never use Instacart, you have the ability to set the tip before the order's even filled. So then Instacart shoppers can look at the available orders in queue and decide if they want to uh, take it right, so they can bundle orders together. So they do a bunch of runs at once, or um, they can, uh, you know, select a, an order. So people are enticing shoppers who are risking life and limb um, by putting in a fifty dollar tip or something that obviously um, is attractive to a shopper. And then after the the job is complete, they're changing the the tip to zero to nothing. So you basically pull the bait and switch on someone to uh, get them to actually take your order. And I'm just like, is this, are people live like, are people really like this in the world? They, unfortunately, they, they are. Um, and it makes me kind of raise an eye to Instacart. Like, why wouldn't, you know, everything that's going on. Some people, this is their only form of income right now, right? right. There's no 
unemployment is backed up. Everyone hasn't gotten stimulus checks and businesses included. Everyone doesn't have six months of expenses put off to the side. So mm-hmm. people are trying to get every dollar that they can. Um, and to allow this to happen, this is like a travesty. It's very disrespectful to the employees that keep your businesses going. Right. And I don't know. I, I read that article, I guess there's been a few days now. So I don't know if they fixed it. Um, or if anything has changed, I know that they had responded and were quote looking into it, I think, but I, I don't know. But I just, for them to allow that to happen, you know, their moral compass, the moral co- compass of people who are utilizing the service, I just, I couldn't imagine doing that to somebody. I just couldn't. Some people are heartless, Delisha. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I've been obviously thinking and I, you know, I brought this up at, at the, in the last episode, which is crazy. I think that was like a month ago that we did it. Um, I, you know, I feel for, um, you know, the creatives and the people in the gig economy and all that stuff um, who are economically facing a lot of uncertainty and and trying to um, figure it out. And I want I wanted to bring that up because I know that you're basically in that boat. Right. So you're a creative. You're you're someone who works for yourself um, and requires the world to be moving, essentially, particularly around events and, and all the other things that you do um, for your bottom line to be looking like what it's supposed to be looking like. So what are you feeling in all of this? You know, you know, um, you know, you know, those more, those moments in Martin when he go, Oh baby, <laughs> <laughs> I think we got robbed. Like you remember those moments? Yes. that's kind of how I feel like right now. Like that. I think it's not that I think we got robbed, but it's like one of those things like, did I make the right decision? Right. Right. To 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 take this, you know, entrepreneurial journey. Um, and it's definitely like been um what's the word I'm looking for? Uh of course, you know, you have all the time in the world to think, but you start thinking about the chain of events that brought you to this moment presently. Mm-hmm. And it's like moving forward, like I know I'm gonna get through this. I'm 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 always certain that I'm gonna figure out a way, I'm gonna find a way to make things happen for myself. But it's one of those questions like, do you wanna stay on this journey? Because that, uh, that that answer, and that's a very on, honest question that you have to, have to ask yourself. Because if you're working as a creative and you're doing things for yourself, there's never any certainty. It's always well, pandemic or no pandemic. It's always where's the next dollar coming from? Where's the next buck coming from? Um, and to have like the entire rug pulled from under you, because we've never experienced anything like this before, where you just can't <laughs> be outside. Um, mm-hmm. it's not a, the demand for certain things is actually lower now because everyone is home. Nobody has anything that they're, they're trying to advertise or promote or event to be captured. It makes you think like, you know, moving forward, how do you protect yourself from something like this? Mm-hmm. Right? Do I shift career paths? Do I pick up a trade? Do I pick up a, another skill? Do I become an entrepreneur? Do I say after this, you know, when they, they let everyone out of the cells, do I run back and say, with the tie and the resume, like, please give me a job, you know what I mean? And become an entrepreneur. It's just one of those things that, that have serious, uh, that I've been having serious conversations with myself about. And I think most other creatives are having those conversations with the, themselves too. I think if they're not, you're a, a bold face lie. Right. <laughs> yeah. Folks used to say. Exactly. And I mean, I've been talking to um, friends who are entrepreneurs um, in a lot of different fields. And similarly, are just kind of everything's at a halt. Um, and the struggle of because, yes, everybody, there are people who I know who are employees who are dealing with this, um, who've been furloughed, laid off, what have you. And there are people who I know who are self-employed, business owners, sole, sole proprietors, taking advantage of the gig economy, et cetera. And the problem um, 
because they keep everybody keeps saying, oh, we're in this together. Everybody's in the same boat. But the problem is that this is an unprecedented time and the government has not set up the infrastructure to get help immediately to those who are self-employed. Right. So if you're on a W-2 and you, you know, file taxes and everything seamless, your stimulus probably came already. Or if you file for unemployment, you that probably has claim has probably been processed for a lot of people with the extra $600 for the federal government. With people who have worked for themselves, state and federal government, I guess, are trying to figure out like how to make the calculation. So, and that's why I brought this up because I know a lot of people listen to the show um, who are are in that that space and probably asking or definitely asking the same questions that you are. Um, is this for me? Do I want to change the format? And one of the things that I think those are questions that only individuals can answer. There's not a, a direct um, answer for any one person. But if people who've listened to the show from the beginning know that like, I was in full-time entrepreneurship and then went to this hybrid model because it wasn't even a pandemic, but the weight of all of it, um, both what was going on with me personally and professionally and the financial piece and the overhead to keep it all running and the amount of money that I had to generate every month to not only break even, but come out in the black and turn a profit and continue to grow um, was incredibly stressful. And I, I could manage the stress very well until certain extenuating circumstances within uh, my personal life sort of pushed things over the edge and I had to make a decision. And it wasn't a decision that I came to immediately. It was a decision that evolved over time and I had to figure out what worked best for me. Um, and once I figured that out, I moved in that direction. Do I miss certain aspects of my old, whole life, my old life? Absolutely. Um, but from a mental health perspective and an emotional and financial health perspective, this model um, is is what works. And for me, for right now, it's not you know permanent, but for right now. And one of the things that I you know would encourage you and and encourage people listening who are in the same boat um, really is to assess what you have the the psychological and the emotional capacity to deal with, right? Because um, to the point you were making, there is a ton of uncertainty and it doesn't, it's not going to end because the pandemic ends, right? Um, this is, this is something that's really, really unique and hopefully it doesn't, you know, we don't see something like this again, but we don't even know how long it's going to take to get through this. Cause I do think this is the first wave of two or three. Um, but the, the one thing I will say, because I, I know too, when you're just home with your own thoughts and kind of dealing with your life choices and trying to figure out, okay, did I make, the right decision. The one thing, as you know, that I believe is everything in our in our lives pushes us to where we're supposed to be. But also, I'm a firm believer that like even if you make a wrong decision, just the way life works out, you eventually end up where you're supposed to be anyway. Right. If if you have the self-awareness and you're continuing to ask the question and you're somebody who is a 26er and lives your life like that, even wrong decisions lead to right destinations. Speak on it. Yeah, it's it's no different than um, you know, you come up on a construction site and they're like this street is closed and you just keep seeing the detour signs, it may take a while and you might have to go over the river and, and through the woods again, but eventually you get where you need to go. Right. Um, and that's just something I, I firmly believe. I've had several conversations with myself um, at low points in my life and saying, well, if I would have just done A, B, and C, then X, Y, and Z would be different. If I would have just done this, I wish I should have did this. I should have never, you know, signed a lease on that Fifth Avenue office as an in, you know, independent attorney, but it was thought I, it was what I thought I needed as a black woman to appear legitimate. I should have just done the Lincoln lawyer thing and, you know, practice without a, a brick and mortar. It's all these things you could say. I, I shouldn't have spent money on this. Maybe I should have hustled this job on this side. Um, 
But the reality of it is we make decisions um, that feel right for us in the moment, right? If you're in tune with yourself, you make a decision based on what felt right at that moment. Right. And as circumstances change, it may feel like a mistake or a misstep. And that's not necessarily the case, right? It, it made sense in that moment. So, you know, I just want to like encourage you and our, and our listeners to, um, to really not get caught in the weight of that. Like what choice did I make and did I, I make the right choice? Um, and this is the time when, um, everything, uh, has, to be dealt with on a on a day a day by day basis, right? You could be thinking about where am I going to be five years from now. Really, the the what we have the capacity as a people, the, the majority of us right now to deal with is today. Today, because even if even if the financial insecurity isn't a piece, just isn't um of utmost importance or isn't an issue right now. Just the the weight of wanting to be healthy and making sure the people that you care about are healthy. Um, the constant twenty four hour news cycle, everything that comes with that, all that takes energy. It takes energy in the middle of a pandemic to maintain your sanity and just to maintain day to day. I, I just want to say that is a fact. And I'm going to raise my hand and say that I am not informed and I have not been paying attention to the news cycle. All the critical news I get is from my close friends who share articles like, ah, you need to know it because I can't I can't deal with that nonsense right about now. It's, people, yeah, like, it's, people like, man, you know, some people would be like, oh, you know, you're you know, you always seem to be so informed. You know what's going on. But during times of crisis and times of stress, I only have a capacity for oh so much. So right. um, there's certain things that I know that are out of my control. And I know the news cycle likes to make spectacles of small things and amplify things during normal times. So I can only imagine what a CNN or a Fox News is doing right now. And I just ain't got the, I don't I ain't got time for that. I have the headspace for it. I mean, especially when like, you know, I've been, so I've, I've been skipping the live briefings right? and then, um, watching sort of the, the summaries and the things that come out later from reputable, are any of them reputable at this point, but you know, news sources that we all know. Right. And I've been, um, looking at information that way. And then people have been sending me stuff. And of course, because of what I do for a living, um, I have to be informed to a certain degree. Um, about what's going on in the economy and, and all that great stuff. But um, so I've been, I haven't been completely turned off, but I know when it's getting to be too much. And um, I know when it's starting to make me more anxious than anything else. Um, so I'm sort of in and out. But I think, you know, people will, will judge and say, oh, you need to stay informed and, and whatever. But I think everybody has to do what's best for them, right? To stay emotionally, spiritually, and mentally healthy. And if, if what you need to do for that is to just, take a step back and say, I'm not listening to any of this, then don't listen to it, right? As you said, the, the information that you need to get is going to come to you one way or another. I have not gotten this many notifications on my phone, probably since t- texting was a thing. Right. At this point, I've lost count of how many group texts I have. It's people reaching out to me. I haven't heard from it. I don't know how long. Um, just it's constant. My phone is constantly buzzing. So if you need to know something, you're going to know it. All my friends forward me articles. Mm-hmm. Group chats are talking. You can go on Facebook, Instagram, and see if it's something that's crucial. It will get to you, right? You know, I got a I got a text message the other day talking about Kim Jong Un. Like, hey man, I think he checked out. So right, like, like, and then word, the, on the, yeah. word on the street, <laughs> word on the street, they got your boy up out of here. And then the person sent me like a TMZ article, so I was like, oh, this must be true because TMZ don't miss. Right. Which is just crazy that if it's on TMZ, TMZ nine times out of 10 is accurate. Exactly. I still can't believe we're, we're there. 
Um, they have some shady practices, but I can't believe we're at that point where T if it's on TMZ, it's hard to believe that it's a lie. Right. We we still haven't got an official confirmation on Kim, but I saw that TMZ attached to it. I'm like, I I'm ninety-eight percent sure that he's probably out of here. North Korea just trying to save face, trying to figure out what they're gonna what they're gonna do next moving forward. Right. And apparently he has a sister. That will succeed if that's the case. Um, so yeah, I just you know I just want to encourage you and the, and the folks out there, and I'm encouraging myself too um, to to do what's best for you. You know, to stay healthy. You know, for sure. And the other thing is too, not being afraid to like reach out for support in whatever form you need it in. Right. And I think as a people, it's one of the things that I love about us culturally. Um, even though everybody tries to put forth the crabs in the barrel thing and all of that. Um, one of the things I know to be true, at least how I grew up and how we grew up, is in times of difficulty, a community comes together. Right. And we we try to help each other, we try to support each other, um, and do what we need to do to survive. So that that's in our blood as a people. And um I think that's important for people to especially just not having the social interactions in in the way that we normally would, um, because Okay, you know, Zoom is great, all that stuff is great, but there's nothing like in person exchange. Um, and there's, the BBC came out with an article about why Zoom is so exhausting. And apparently, we're more concerned about how we're perceived um, on video than we would be on person. There's a delay and reaction and all this other stuff. So even if you, you have that and you feel like, okay, well, I'm connected with my family, I'm connected with my friends, I'm connected with my coworkers, you know, seek, seek the support um, that you need, you know, when you need it. Because I think 26ers, this is what the whole the whole show was built on. The fact that like we all can reach depths of despair when everything is stagnant. We don't know what's right. next. That's what the whole show is about. So um, while I know people, we focus on the motivational piece of being extraordinary on an ordinary day, right? That's what it's about. Um, these days, <laughs> I don't even know if you call it ordinary. We're really, really trying to be extraordinary and in ordinary months. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, reach out for help as you need it, um, you know, for sure, because it's a different program. Um, it's a different program now. So, uh, yeah, I just want to encourage people to do that. <laughs> um, but on a, on a lighter note, how have you been keeping yourself entertained? On a lighter note, um, how have I been keeping myself entertained? Um, been trying to keep up with my schoolwork. I'm almost done with my last three classes. Clap it up. How much How much time do you have? I think I got like a week left. Oh, yeah, you're about to be done with a whole second degree. Yeah, with a whole second degree that I did not pay for. All praise be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) But um, other than that, um, doing a little reading um, here and there. I'm rereading Reginald Lewis. It's his uh, biography, Why Should White Men Have All the Fun. Such a great book. If you haven't read it, reread it. And just um, watching every documentary that I can. That Jordan started. You started the last dance. Started the last dance. I think the uh, the way that story is being told is just amazing. Um, I I, I love stories that kind of jump around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting how it's being formed because um, they're they're the the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, is centered around the '98 season. Um, but they had these flashbacks to different points in his life. And if you follow the story, it's kind of building where those flashbacks are going to meet. Those flashbacks are going to actually meet in the middle uh, with that 98 season. But I really enjoyed that documentary and learned a little bit more about Mike and the psychopath that he is. <laughs> so, OK. So, yeah, I have I have been watching it as well. We are both 
uh, documentary aficionados. And there's one thing that the two things that I love um, about well-executed documentaries, and I think it's two elements that um, are really important. One, the timeline in which the story is told, and it takes really it takes skill to jump around like this right. without coming across as manic. That's the first thing. And when they license the right music, right. And this this lad, the last dance has been crazy with the music. Like the soundtrack that they put on this thing has been great. When he was going off in that Celtics game and that LL Cool J came on, that, ah, <laughs> I'm bad. Like that, it was really fitting. Because usually in a lot of documentaries, they do not get the music right. But they try to get the royalty-free music. Right. They get the royalty-free music. They don't have the budget for it, but it's Mike. So, you know, no expense mm-hmm. probably spared for this. Yeah, no. So the one thing that I've been seeing all the chatter online about is um, Scottie Pippen. And how, you know, he was the number two man, but he's like 122nd in terms of pay or something, 124 right. somewhere in there. And people have been being like, you know, he had this trash deal. What kind of agent did he have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was my knee jerk reaction, too, honestly. But I also understand choosing stick security over um, a gamble with regard to pay. Right. And he played he played the long game because he had this big family and you know two two family members who had health challenges, et cetera. And it's easy to say what we would all do if we were in that situation. Um, but I understand I understand why he made the decision that he made. I still feel bad for him, but I understand the decision. I understand the decision we made. And again, when we're talking about a celebrity, you know, a pro athlete or a musician, it's always easy to say that, but people take that's every day, you know, as somebody that's making $40,000 right now that should be making $60,000 mm-hmm. a year talking about Scottie Pippen. But at True. the end of the day, you have needs to be met. And, you know, someone on that level, I think he was dealing with some aggravated injuries at that time. Um, and, you know, sports, it can be over. There was no Scottie Pippen didn't know he was going to be Scottie Pippen. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, when he came into the leagues, this dude that. You know, came out of a small school and he had to work his way into what he became. So there was no guarantee what he was over. I was just surprised that um, there was um, <laughs> that the the owner had said, oh, you know, I didn't think it was a good idea. I advised him against it. Mike advised it against it. But when he took it, I was like, all right, we're not renegotiating. Never. We don't renegotiate. I don't renegotiate ever. That's the part. That's, just, that's what I, blew me. Exactly. Out of the owner. I'm like, everything's up for renegotiation. Like, exactly. it makes it more like you don't think if if the franchise is worth more and there's an advertising deal or some sort of marketing deal between a brand, you don't think the owner's going to renegotiate with that brand? Like, hold up, we're worth more. Like, we've got this many eyeballs watching our game. Like, you can't get it at this rate anymore. We have to renegotiate this. You think you think they're not going to try to make an attempt to get more? Right. Money? Exactly. And you know, people may say, "Why you feel bad for somebody who has made?" all this money in his career, right? And his next contract was was great. But the reality of it is I'm I'm a person, especially for people, you know, for people who look like me, I believe I don't care if you're making a million dollars or a hundred million dollars or ten thousand, you deserve to be paid what you're worth. And I don't believe in leaving money on the table. Everybody who knows me personally knows one of the mantras I live by is no coin left behind. If it's owed to you, you should have it. Um and this is about ten dollars, you ain't paying nine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I would, I'm going to need the other four quarters. That's just right. that's just who I am as a person. So when I see, you know, what he made over the course of that, when you think about the 
the interest and the amortization and all those things and what that money could have become um, and how it opens up your world in terms of investment. And, and, and right. Scotty is fine, right? We, we know right. that. But the he reality of it is... Contract. What was that? He, he got paid after he left the Bulls. Right. But the reality of it is they had, a, they had a franchise player that they didn't have to pay like one. Right. And that's what that's just what annoys me. And how much um, money did you make off of his brow? Right. Exactly. But I'm looking forward to seeing the... Um, the, the subsequent parts of this because uh, it's just really, really well done. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess Mike had said that people might hate him after this, but yeah. I, I mean, but really, do you reach that level of success? Um, and I think this goes across industry. If you look at anybody who's like at the peak like that, do you reach that level of success without having that blind ambition and, and self-absorption anyway? Uh, you don't, you, you don't, this world is very competitive and you can only go so far without being fanatical about certain things. Right. Um, and, you know, Mike's whole thing was excellence. You know, they were you know, talking about how um, essentially, you know, they, were, they came to that part where they wanted him to sit out because of, he had that injury, mm-hmm. that weird injury on his foot and the bone didn't, it took, it, because it was such a weird place. Sometimes there's an op- if if it didn't heal right, there was an opportunity for it to be rebroken, and it could have been he could have been out for a longer amount of time. It could have altered his career, and he like didn't care. Mm-hmm. And they tried to limit you know his time, and he's playing like seven minutes a half or something like that. And he was trying to make the playoffs. He wanted to come back, and they're like, no, just sit it out, and you know we'll get the draft picks. And he's like, no, nah, I want to play. But that's just a winner's mentality, a win at all cost mentality. It's not normal. If it was normal, and if it was easy. And everyone would do it. Um, but Mike is just a very different type of person. Right. That's why he's called the GOAT. Yeah. And of course, you know, he's just at, at another level. But when you look at his story, you look at now Scotty's story, and there's a ton of other people that I can name um, in sports and outside of it. But um, it just reinforces the idea that like raw talent is not enough. Oh, no. There are plenty of people who have raw talent and there are plenty of people who like will do what they're supposed to do, like show up to practice, do what you need to do. But just to be the kind of person that is a clutch player, like figuratively um, and literally, it takes you got to be practicing when other people aren't, you know, and it's interesting to be talking about that after we just said do what you got to do just to be mentally sane. Um, So I'm not saying those rules apply today because they don't, but it just, it just reminded me that you want to be a franchise player. It takes being in the gym first and being the last one to leave. It just does. Right. And um, I think that's it. I mean, in regards to talent, I mean, Mike, Mike, Mike might not be the most physically gifted player that we've ever seen. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, a basketball aficionado, but I've never seen anybody do the physical things that LeBron can, but there's definitely a different mindset than LeBron has than Mike. And I'm not going to get into these debates on who I think is the greatest, but um, your mindset and how you approach things and how you go about things definitely make the difference in the outcomes that you have. Because once you get to that level as a professional, I mean, the guy that's sitting on the bench that gets garbage time on the NBA team can scrub it up 99% of the world. Right. There's a reason why he's sitting on that bench in the league and it's, it's probably goes in the preparation part and the mental piece of it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's, it's also like one of the things um, that these documentaries all also remind me of one of the lessons that I always take away is that even if you are quote unquote, the greatest, there are so many other pieces that go into a, a taking a W right. right. Like, 
that the, the timing is the this, the that, the other elements, the supporting cast of characters. There are so many things that come together in divine order through hard hard work and divine order that get to that win. Um, so it's important to to have the right elements around you and the right team and no matter what you're doing to to really get if you're trying to reach that destination it takes more than just you right there's a there's so many different variables mm-hmm. um for as far as mentors you know collaboration working with because he didn't do it alone i mean this document right. is gonna talked about how pivotal a role scotty played it's gonna these episodes coming up we're gonna talk about dennis and phil jackson but it wasn't just mike it was a gang of people um mike was just the front man Mm-hmm. That, you know, because he's the quote unquote greatest, but there's so many pieces. And then part of it is just love. Um, right. The thing the documentary didn't touch on is like, you know, Mike has some trouble uh, in college. He was a great player in college, but Lynn Bias was a monster. Right. Uh, in years in, in college. Uh, I, I know you've seen that documentary. I think they did yep. a 30 on it. And and the Lynn Bias documentary showing the games that they, uh, were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he, I can't remember what team he, Lynn Bias played for in college. But like when they played North Carolina, he was just like dominating. Mm-hmm. Number one pick overall, but you know he did cocaine and had a heart attack and died. What right. Would, if if Lynn came to the league, what would Mike's career look like? But Lynn passed away, so mm-hmm. we'll never know. But these are like just the different variables that can happen. How random life is. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing the the rest of it. It's it's made me. Want to pick up a basketball again when this is all over? Because people may not know that I used to ball. Uh, believe it or not, quiet as kept. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm like, man, I miss kind of playing basketball now after watching this. Kalisha out there hooping. Uh, this is this. I'll I'll be sure you guys to get mad video footage and upload it on on uh, uh, 26. I'm probably real rusty. I haven't like touched a basketball for real for in like 20 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, touched the basketball since Clinton was in office. Yeah, I, I don't really think that's gonna work out for me, but it would make a good workout. I don't know if I'm gonna put that on video, but my form is probably terrible by now. Um, but anyway, shifting gears a little bit, the other piece of entertainment that we've been talking about a lot—that Clark sisters biopic. Oh, that was great. That's great. I gotta give it. To, I gotta give it to Lifetime on this one. We'll clap it up for Lifetime. I think. Um, it's just another example of like dedicating yourself to your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, their mother was just like the Joe Jackson of gospel. Right. Um, and the thing, like, I didn't know she invented the three part harmony. And the and way I, in which she did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that was just news to me. I, I felt like this. I honestly believe that this should have been like the Jackson movie. Like it needed like five hour long parts because it was just so much in there. And anybody who's been to church has just picked up on the little subtleties of things that were being displayed. There was so many, there was so much nuance that church kids understand. When she came home from work uh, and had the pants on <laughs> and her mother looked up and down and slammed the door, I like fell out of my chair laughing. And I know people who grew up like Baptist probably didn't know what was going on. But if you grew up in like Pentecostal faith, like that is, that is real. When she was like, um, you wearing pants, you you probably spoke, smoking reefer too. I think it was Layla Hathaway that's, that tweeted, so now pants are a gateway drug. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think to what we were talking about with with uh, with the Michael Jordan documentary, like you said, it's the same thing. There's that work ethic and, and dedication in addition to the, the raw talent um, and that level of discipline and singular focus. And I'm not saying it was all healthy because what they really didn't specifically say in the movie is Twinkie went to Howard. She went. 
And her mother was flying her back um, every weekend to do these workshops and write. And and after a while, she just couldn't keep up. Um, And she was a a force to be reckoned with at Howard um, and ended up walking away from that. So sacrifice. And you wonder what she would have become, right? Had she stayed there and had influences outside of the church. Um, But I'm just, I'm proud of the movie that a, as people who grew up in the church scene and listening to gospel music and, and knowing what they mean to a lot of people in the ministry and outside of it, um, I'm happy their story got told. I'm happy that it was made clear. As we've been saying, you and I have been saying for a while, Twinkie's one of the best writers and arrangers, period. Period. But it's not just about gospel, period. So showcasing that um, as well. And I was a little nervous, not going to lie, when I found out I was going to be on uh lifetime. I was like, okay. Um, but it was done really, really well. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is thanks to the fact that they use people who can really sing. Um, and it's such a strong lead in Anjanu Ellis who played Maddie Moss Clark. Oh, she was amazing. Mm-hmm. She was amazing. They need a, they need a movie about Maddie Moss Clark on her own. Like I would have loved to see like some backstory. Like I said, if it would have paralleled the format of the Jackson movie, how you got to see how their parents got together. Yeah behind it because I, as I was watching I was going on Wikipedia I'm like I didn't know I always saw the title doctor but you know how mm-hmm. church folks are church, mm-hmm. church folks especially Pentecostal folks that give themselves all sorts of titles in a minute that, in a minute that are not actually real or accredited but I'm like okay so no she actually went to school she's actually highly educated um and has a PhD in music like I, I was I was amazed but I know that people at Lifetime um probably didn't know or weren't willing to put the funding up to yeah tell a detailed story they followed their formula right with the production team it's you you fly people to a far off land i think this movie was shot in canada they got a month they get it done right so they worked with the donald lawrence worked with the singers piece but they they went and they got it done and and i get that and i'm sure some of the numbers that they put up because this movie the first airing was like 2.7 i think um but which is still record breaking for Lifetime for the first the, for the last four years. But the numbers that the movie has put up in totality at this point is like 13 million or something crazy. Right. And yeah, some of that is driven by the fact that we're home. But I think sometimes people underestimate um, the power of the black consumer and the black churched consumer. Because most of us, no matter what you how you live now, a lot of us grew up in church. Um, and there are certain stories that that resonate. So I'm glad that. A, it was done. It wasn't bootleg. It was better than some of the the, the things that they've done on secular artists. Um, and they they had such a strong lead in Ingenue, and then they had strong voices. Um, yeah, the you know the other the other girls didn't have the other women didn't have extensive acting credits in the way that she did. They brought it, you know, better than than I expected. But also just that that musicality piece was amazing. So I'm interested to see. You know, one of the producers was saying they're they're kind of floating the idea of expanding on it. Um, it needs to be done well. I don't know how that happens, but I do think the prequel and that origin story for Ingenue deserves a whole separate thing. She um, needs an Emmy Award for her performance. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we didn't we didn't get into some of the other things that we were supposed to talk about, but there are big changes happening for us as well, even in the midst of quarantine, like major, major life changes, which... Um, We'll contribute to what we're doing with the show, which I'm I'm looking forward to. A lot to make happen in a short amount of time, but we can talk about that at a, at another time. I Announcements will be made. Big things are coming, y'all. Just wait on it. Yeah, for sure. So um, we're still working on long term plans and idea generation and all that stuff uh, as well, and making some shifts shifts in our own lives uh, to accommodate that. 
So I'm excited. I'm I'm excited about that. Anything else you want to share with the people? Because we got a date with John P. Key versus Hezekiah Walker um, that we got to get to. I just want to let the people know that Hezekiah Walker will be swiftly defeated by John P. Key and his keyboard <laughs> on Instagram Live. I know this isn't live, but there should be some kind of recap. But by the time this comes out, you should revisit this because John P. Key got them vocals, man. Yeah, I think this is a no brainer. Uh, no, you know, no shots at no offense to Bishop Hezekiah Walker, but if you really know people's catalog and people's talent, uh, and I'm sure there's a subset of our listeners who do, hands down, my money is on uh, the right Reverend John P. Key. And I love Hezekiah Walker. 99 and a half <laughs> is my joint, especially the club version. Most of y'all probably never heard it. Me and Delisha are still looking for the CD with the club version of 99 and a half. <laughs> Because it was, uh, it was it was fire, but that's a whole different story. But yeah, John P. Key is taking this. You know what I realized before we get out of here? That mom was like to stretch Armstrong of gospel. <laughs> <laughs> she had everything. She had all the hits. She was breaking remixes. She had the underground stuff. Artists on indie labels that don't even exist anymore. She really did. Our mom was really the plug. This this is probably why we're so into music because mm-hmm. our mom was like heavy on gospel music and I wish that storage space was up here because we could probably resell half that stuff she got on CD and cassette and them tapes on eBay right now because I guarantee you a lot of those artists they're not even producing that stuff anymore. I, I tried to find New Joy on Spotify it ain't there because <laughs> that label probably doesn't exist there are these little like indie labels that put this music out they are nowhere to be found. People bought these catalogs. There are Clark, there's Clark Sisters music you can't even find, except on YouTube. I because, it. you know, the catalog bounced around a little bit. I think Twinkie got it back and they're working on it. But yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there you can't find. But we had we had all the underground independent stuff which you've never would have even heard of unless you really were into gospel music back in the day. Yeah, man. No secular music in our household unless you snuck it. But I'm not going to go on any longer because there's 82,000 people on this live stream. <laughs> and Hezekiah is bopping. So that means he's going right now. Okay, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here, y'all. But listen, y'all be encouraged. Stay in the house. We know it's difficult. We are working and thinking about ways to support you um, as well, as well as keeping ourselves sane. But we will make it through this. We'll make it through it together. I know people keep saying that, but it's true. Um, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. You have things you want us to talk about. We're exploring ideas as we sit us at home as well. Sit us, uh, Send us a message. Hit us up with a DM or something. And just let us know what you want to hear from us, who you want us to talk to while we are stuck in the house and doing these inter- interviews over the internet. Uh, and lastly, as always, Remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.